Hey guys, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. So my family, my friends, and anyone who follows me on social media probably hasn't missed my enthusiasm, to put it mildly, over the series Fleabag by creator, writer, and star Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And I'm not alone. Critics and viewers have written, raved, laughed, and cried. It is just such a funny, sexy, and exceptionally written show. It has everything, a dysfunctional family, a hot priest, questions of faith, love, sex with real depth, and all this with an incredible cast at its center. I really wanted to talk about this show, and who better to talk about it with than one of the stars? He's the American among the Brits. Brett Gelman plays Fleabag's sister's pretty odious husband, Martin. And his turn in the last season really brings the character full circle and shows Gelman's fierce acting chops. Now, I have no doubt that you've seen Brett Gelman in other shows. And when I say I have no doubt, I really mean I have no doubt. Here are just a few of the shows that he's had small and large roles in. The Office, Mad Men, Love, Twin Peaks The Return, Californication, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Fresh Off the Boat, Stranger Things, and on and on. Now, coming up in our interview, we talk about Fleabag and the impact it's made, the genius of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, creating the character of Martin and playing the asshole, comedy in the age of Trump, and how Brett Gelman in 2016 severed ties with the network Adult Swim. He cited the lack of action on the gender gap and misogyny in their policies as no women were getting to create shows there. Okay, so there's going to be fleabag spoilers in our talk, so get out there and watch it before you listen. So why do you think your father suggested you come for counselling? Because I spent most of my adult life using sex to deflect from the screaming void inside my empty heart. I'm good at this. You close with your family? Is that fair? Yes, but it's okay because it had a stroke. Oh, lovely. <laughs> we get on with it. Hi. Thought you'd be in prison, but Oh well, keep trying, but they just won't have me. <laughs> <laughs> you look uh, strong. Oh my god! So Brett Gelman, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm such a fan. Oh my god, thank you so much. That means a lot. Uh, I love your podcast. Congratulations on such an incredible season, all the accolades. TV Twitter has been ablaze. Oh, it has? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. No, I mean, it seems like it's, uh, yeah, I, there's been a lot of great feedback. I'm not mm-hmm. on Twitter, uh, but I am on Instagram and, you know, I get Google alerts. <laughs> so, um, it seems like it's being talked about and, uh, that's, uh, that's really exciting. I'm going to get into Fleabag, but I was just reading off a list of your, in the intro, a list of some of the parts you've been on, some incredible shows and incredible showrunners. And I don't really have a question. I just think there should be some sort of Brett Gelman drinking game because you've been on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever like put the TV on and like, there I am? Yeah, well, it's it's so funny because uh, I often am in just like such a panic of, of, will I ever work again? So <laughs> as a, as a job, you know, ends its, uh, ends its cycle there. So yeah, no, I know it's not how I feel. You know, I, I, I more look at all the shows that I'm not on rather than the shows that I'm on and the movies that I'm not in and the plays that I'm not in. Uh, but you know, I think that kind of goes with the territory of us actors. That's how our 
self-esteem, I think, kind of can uh, attack us if we let it sometimes. Not just us act, I mean, everyone, I think, you know. Let's talk about Fleabag. In season two, the characters seem to be at quite a crossroads. They're just much more vulnerable, in my opinion, including Martin. Um, would you agree? Tell us a little bit, where are they now? Yeah, well, I, you know, it's been a year that has passed from season one to season two. Um, and not really, you know, none of what was left at the end of season one was really dealt with in this year, you know, everybody, except, well, Fleabag does deal with it in terms of, you know, trying to better herself and better her life, but there is still this hole, I think, left within her that relates to family and purpose that she hasn't yet really properly dealt with. And then all the other characters, I think, have sort of been uh, somewhat on automatic um, just pressing forward and pretending that that didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, in terms of the relationship between father and godmother and Claire and Martin, it's like created this, you know, there's the, it, it's created this volcano that is about to explode. And it very much does uh, right from the get go of season two. Right, right. First scene, I'm thinking. But well, it's pretty incredible, I have to say, that in 22 minutes, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and the rest of you can bring levels of depth to character, emotion and closure. I mean, people are definitely making their movies too long when you can see what you guys can do in that short amount of time. Could you tell me a little bit about her process? Um, what does the script look like when you get it? Uh, well, the script is incredible. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and there's no... You know, all of this depth, uh, you know, largely has to be attributed to her writing. It's just, uh, you know, we're not improvising. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty word perfect. And, uh, you know, occasionally, yeah, sure. We'll throw a, a moment in there, uh, you know, on a take if it, if, if the inspiration takes us, which her and Harry Bradbeer, the director are open to, but yeah, it's a very, it, it, it's very, very orchestrated and, uh, and composed. So yeah, the scripts look great. I mean, on, on a lot of my scenes, I showed up and Phoebe would say, this scene isn't right. And <laughs> she'd be rewriting it like five minutes before we filmed it. And I thought it was already brilliant. But then when she would rewrite it, I was like, well, it's, yeah, it's even better now. So, uh, about your question before and like everything that I'm on, I mean, I have been real, I do feel very grateful to have been a part of so many things that so many incredible writers and directors and actors have been a part of. It's, it's really like, I'm pretty blessed. So I, I do feel that very much so. You have an incredible speech in season two. Is that one of those times that she just wrote it five minutes before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to, she was like, this speech doesn't sound like Martin. She's like, I need to rewrite it. And, uh, and then she rewrote it in the car next to me on the way to set. And, uh, and so, uh, it was, uh, it, but it's exciting. Cause it's like when, when you see that somebody is making it better. And again, I, I did not see it in the way that she did, uh, at the time until after she rewrote it. 
I don't know. It's like, you know, it's, it's such a, a team effort, too. It's like you feel like we're all in this together and we're all making this very special thing. And so you, you want to, you know, it, it, uh, it's you can't let nerves give way to that. And also I do. I'm I'm a pretty fast memorizer, so I don't really get panicked about that sort of thing. And of course, it's not about memorization at the end of the day at all. It's about showing what, you know, displaying what the character psychology and uh, emotional life is. And to me, he's vulnerable through the whole series. But of course, I, I, I see it that way because I'm playing him. It was really like actually a huge shock in watching those first two episodes and how how uh, grotesque he is, because that's, of course, not what I'm playing. Uh, I'm playing betrayal and anger and loneliness and self-hatred and drunkenness and in, in the middle of a comedy as well. So, you know, you're raising to that tone, too, because there were times where uh, I would sort of play it a, a little differently and you know, Phoebe would be like, remember, this is a comedy. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's, uh, it's in a, in a strange way, playing it in a, in a comedic tone makes the bad things that happen feel that much harsher in a way mm-hmm. or just differently harsher. Yeah. And very true to life. I mean, life is like that, right? I mean, you're never just in one mode. I mean, even if yeah. someone dies, something else is happening in your life at the same time, your kids run in or whatever, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I've all, I'm never playing any of my characters that I, from a place of judgment. Be sure you don't want anyone. Oh no, thank you. Really is delicious. I admire you both so much. Uh, well, it's really turned us around, hasn't it, honey? Oh, so much more energy. You know, in Finland. Is there a reason that you're not drinking? He's an alcoholic. Oh, fun. My parents are alcoholics. Oh, great. We thought it would be easier if we did it together, and I don't really like the taste. And we are trying for a baby. Well, they say a lifestyle change can help, so here we go. That is so exciting, Dad. Oh, thanks, Dad. Good luck. That's wonderful. Something's up. And now you have the money to pay for proper help. Ghastly without help, I imagine. <laughs> Tell us about Finland. The thing about the thing about Martin is, yeah, I mean, everyone hates him, and of course, he he is odious and and in scenes. But in one way, I feel that they kind of get off on each other they can use each other they both the both the sort of morally bankrupt part of both martin and fleabag they know this about each other and they can actually sort of use each other for that anger you know what i mean i think yeah i think they are the two most similar characters on the show and are more similar and i think that that is part of what causes them to have so much friction i think they're both outsiders they both feel outside of the family they both feel like their life is not where they want it to be they both feel crushing loneliness and she turns to sex whereas i turn to booze um and and uh and they both have this wit that is both putting them above everything but then also putting them below everything as well and uh Unfortunately, I relate to that all too well. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, she uh, she can, I think she can relate to him. And I mean, he can say things to her that he definitely can't say to anyone else. But he can be totally honest, which must be an outlet. I think so. And I think that, you know, in the first season when I kiss her, that's what I 
I was playing, I saw that like, oh, we connect. You actually understand me. And uh, there was a misreading. That's why I call her an asshole. Uh, because it's like, oh, you've betrayed. You've, you've shut the door on something that you're not even aware that you've opened the door to here in our day together that we spent, you know, really confiding in one another and being there for one another. And that's what, that's what I played. And I think that that rage towards her from her turning that on him like that and, and also trying to, and using that as a means to get my wife to leave me and alienate me even more he sees as a major betrayal. So it's the level of rage that I'm coming into uh, with season two is indescribable. It's, it's, right. it's huge. Tell me a little bit about being the American on a British set like this. Oh my God. I, I, I feel, uh, <laughs> Oh my God. I, I, you know, it's, uh, it was really, I mean, British, British culture is a big influence on me. So it was a real, it was a real uh, ego boost. And then also you get to like wave that in everybody's face back at home. Just be like, ha ha ha, see, I'm international. Uh, <laughs> only American, you assholes. <laughs> yeah, it was also very intimidating because there is that... <laughs> It's way easier to see when uh, when Americans uh, don't like you than when uh, the Brits don't like you. <laughs> yeah, explain. They're way better at hiding it. But they're more likely not to like you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, it was, I mean, uh, it's just the level of people that I was entering in, into working with, from uh, Phoebe to Harry to, you know, Olivia and Sean and Bill, it was, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's, and it was a culture shock to me at first because I had never actually been to London. So I was acclimating to living in London for a month and also doing this show. Um, but, it, but overall so exciting and, and just, uh, and, and made me feel very good. <laughs> and in terms of, of, British comedy as opposed to I mean you've been doing American comedy your whole career um did was there anything you you learned picked up or that surprised you in in the tonality of the you know humor itself there is you know in in the in the way that Phoebe works there is somewhat of a difference from the way in which current comedy in the United States the majority of it the majority of what I do works uh I mean Current comedy in the United States is very improvisational and very, uh, you know, the script is just like really a, a, a blueprint and a suggestion a mm -hmm. lot of the time. And even when you you do do the scene, how it's written, uh, with most of the uh, the comedy in the United States, you can, you know, they want you to go off of it. And it's a plus to do that. Whereas with Phoebe, you know, the the writing is just so dense and you want it to get, get it word perfect. And even at times uh, I, I would get certain direction of exactly how to play it, which the American in me then goes, well, I'm going to do it, you know, uh, how I do it, but I will satisfy what you are giving me uh, there, you know? So because the, the notes were always right, of course. So it's uh, so it just was like that adjustment, but that wasn't like too new to me. 
and and because I understand the technic technicalities of comedic craft, not just you know I learned those in school. Mm -hmm. So I uh, and and doing you know being trained in classical theater definitely makes me you know properly prepared in order to to work in that type of setting as well. And it's really refreshing when the writing is brilliant and you you can stay on. On, on, on script like that. Not to say that the writing isn't brilliant on the American comedies that improvisational on, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a different thing. And do you find yourself like just staring at Olivia Coleman's different faces? I mean, she's just incredible to look at every sort of gesture that she makes after something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, she's definitely uh, a very special, special artist. Um, but so is everybody on the show. I mean, oh, yeah. everybody, really wows me in the show um and uh and it very much feels like an ensemble and like a group effort you know um everybody's very that's one of the great things too is like as big as as far as the british people that i've worked with as as big as they are like olivia they're still just very down to earth <laughs> and don't really take their their grandiosity uh you know seriously you were you were talking a little bit about this before, but there there are so many things in this series, or especially in this season, that could really be cheesy. Sort of the man of the cloth seducing the woman, and Martin and the godmother could be completely one dimensional in any other show with any other writing. What is the? Is, do you do you have you sort of identified the secret as to why it isn't here? Uh, because I think that she, um, among many talents that she has is, uh, not only fearless in writing her own character, but fearless in entering the perspective of these other characters and knows how to bring out their fur, their full psychological makeup in a very finite amount of time. I mean, especially like in the case of me and Godmother, I, you know, we're, you know, Andrew's in the, in the season a lot more he's in a lot more right. scenes he plays the hot priest and uh and so the fact that she can nail you know in the the depth and the basically the spine of mine and olivia's characters in such a short amount of time it's just it it, it speaks to her empathy she has an incredible amount of empathy and takes the comedy very seriously and knows how to use the comedy in order to she uses it to put a spotlight on the character's psychology rather than just do a joke, you know. Mm -hmm. There's nothing about uh, Phoebe that is two-dimensional. Now, do you enjoy playing bad? Sure. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's never bad to me. It's always justified, but I, I do enjoy playing it. It's also very hard. I mean, these characters, they, they somewhat start in some way or another become sort of my autobiography, it's really strange. And I don't know if that I manipulate this or wield this into being myself, but you know, when, when I take on a role, the, the role, my life will somehow mirror the role in, in some indirect way. So some very core aspect of the character and what's going on with them is, uh, I, I feel is happening to me in my life. So Oh, no, I find that a bit frightening in terms of Martin. I, I hope you weren't going through that. Uh, you know, I definitely struggle with uh, self-hatred, and I definitely uh, struggle with 
with hiding behind humor at times. Uh, and, and there's aspects of that. So yeah, of course not, thankfully not all of Martin's qualities are mine, but you do, you know, I heard Gene Hackman once say, you know, when I get a character, I, I look at them and I go, how are they like me? How are they not like me? And I don't necessarily sit down and make that list, but that list starts to present itself. And my way in is, is from uh, a personal place. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also a testament to great writing. It's like, you know, it, great writing, all of the characters in a great written piece you're going to relate to in some way if you're truly an introspective, sensitive person. It's a pretty incredible, thankfully, good year and been a few years for the female showrunners. I mean, Phoebe, both with this one and Killing Eve, and we've got, what, Russian Doll that's been coming out and everything. And and, and it's been a long time coming. I, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your decision to leave Adult Swim in 2016. Yeah, I, I you know, look, I think that there's problems in the whole system. I don't think any network is innocent of of segre- you know of of discrimination. I, you know, I, I, and I'm not saying that it, it's conscious necessarily, but we're part of a system that discriminates. We're all programmed into that system, and I think a lot of people and are not so aware. Uh, myself included, uh, how we can fit into that that equation. But I felt it was so aggressive what Mike Lazo said about women not being funny. I can't directly quote it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm a little apprehensive to do that just because I don't want to missay it. But it, it just, I just thought, yeah, I just, the fact that they had no women showrunners and then in, in combination with that, that they had greenlit this show that I, where the political leanings were really you know, alt-right and, mm-hmm. you know, white and male and hetero supremacist leaning where it was just real. I was like, what the hell, you know, what is this network? And I thought that, you know, I think that Adult Swim very much exists in this bubble of its own fandom. You know, it, it, when I was doing things there, it was, you know, I, my, my specials that I did that very few people know about, but there's a, it, they, had a million viewers when they came out. They, you know, it, it it strangely like beat The Daily Show at that time. But the thing about the network is, is that the network is the star, and so it's like every show is sort of serving uh, under that umbrella and not and under the inside of that bubble and not coming out of it. Right. And I thought that that whole bubble mentality had really uh, cut off the the executives from. I, I thought they took the, the audience for granted that they really weren't like looking at like, well, okay, how is our stuff affecting people? And we should, I'm not saying not be provocative, uh, but like really be a little more conscious of that. And, uh, and yeah, I just don't, I don't agree with the other side. Right. Right. I don't agree with the other side and I'm, a, I'm against the other side. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it, I, especially now I don't think it's really a time for discussion and, hearing them out. I've heard them. I think it's a bunch of bullshit. So I, when I saw that, I just was like, well, I'm not benefiting from this at all. (laughs) And, and, and women are being, are being, uh, 
totally, totally shut out of something that they're shut out of across the board in entertainment. But it was so egregious and unapologetic that I, I just it, it disgusted me and and them supporting the show and these people whose social media presence was so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, and I didn't. All I did was tweet a couple articles mm-hmm. and then some interviews. You know, it was not this great heroic act. But I read that there were forty-seven announced projects on Adult Swim with zero women behind them. Yeah, it's that's horrible. What kind of backlash did you face? Death threats and uh, you know anti-Semitic remarks. My my ex-wife, who is is black, was they were posting things about her. I mean, just truly reprehensible stuff. It caused me to get off Twitter because. I wasn't hungry to make a spectacle of this. I merely took a stand and then that's it. And uh, I think that there is too much coverage of like the intricacies of hatred going on in, in the world. It's like, yes, it needs to be exposed, but it also needs to be swept back under the rug. And I think that there is a fine line between giving it enough attention so that people know about it, but giving it too much attention so that it sort of makes it more powerful. Right, right. We don't can't learn anything from them anymore. No, no. And this whole thing that, you know, I just I, I don't really believe in the high road anymore. But tell me a little about that, about, you know, you've spent your a life in comedy, really. I mean, you've done drama tremendously as well. But in comedy, what what is humor in the age of Trump? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question. I don't know if I can answer it. Uh, I don't think it's doing enough. Uh, I don't think it's doing enough. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I have just as, I have not just as much, but I also have some problems with our side. I think we spend too much time patting ourselves on the back and not enough time uh, looking at ourselves and seeing how, uh, you know, I mean, I'm speaking to white people and especially white men, how even though we're liberal, we don't see how our actual actions a lot of the times are not that different from our right-wing counterparts. You know, and we we just assume because of our core belief system that we are behaving in a certain way when really we're exhibiting some of the same behavior that, you know, and, and not taking into account enough that what what really matters at the end of the day is our actions and, uh, and, and just being too, too impressed with ourselves for our, our Instagram posts, <laughs> you know, or our Twitter posts of, of preaching to the choir, you know, it's, it's a complete waste of time. So I would like to see humor get more extreme and more risks to be taken, but that's a very easy thing to say. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying that everything needs to be politically aggressive. It just needs to be more aware. It needs to be more aware and more conscious of everything, not just politi- politics, but like where we're at emotionally and where we're at. And, and, and I think that also like it falls too much to like this nihilism, which I just think is, is, is an act of cowardice and, and really like, a friend told me that apocalyptic thinking is an authoritarian tactic. Mm-hmm. I think that's very true. And I think so. I think that like 
where we need to go more is is increasing our hope, but also increasing our sense of reality and our honesty. And with that comes a big fight and a big responsibility. But we got to take it. And I'm not saying I'm not saying I necessarily am. But has anything gotten better in terms of women in in projects? I work with a lot of women. That being said, yes, it's gotten better, but it, I mean, it's nowhere near. I, I don't think we should be talking about it getting better yet. I don't think we should ever be talking about it getting better until it's just better. It'll be better when we're not pointing out that it's better because we'll be used to it being better. <laughs> right, right. Just be, that's, that's the truth. We got to stop. Like, ooh, I, you know, I, get, I lost, we were in this mentality of like, ooh, I lost two pounds. Now I can eat three pizzas. I mean, I am still, I can't go into specifics, but, you know, as I go through all aspects of, of the day-to-day, I am, I am shocked. I am shocked by the lack of awareness, mm-hmm. you know, towards women, towards people of color, towards the LGBTQ community. I, it is just, it's shocking. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking. Before I let you go, I just have to ask you about a man that you've worked with. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, because I'm interested in knowing about your experience with David Lynch. Oh. Yeah, because one of my favorites. I'm not allowed to reveal uh, his process uh, in any way, but mm-hmm. he is a major hero of mine. I mean, that was... Uh, that was crazy. And I, you know, I, the very little bit I did on that show, I would have done, I would have been a tree, you know, if he asked me to, I, I, you know, it, it was so, so exciting. It was a really high point in my life to just mm-hmm. get to be in the same room with him. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, really a very, very, it, he did not disappoint. I'll tell you. <laughs> Okay. Well, now I'm even more curious, but I understand that. It's a very warm environment, but you know, when action happens, I I don't know. And I don't know if I'm imbuing this, you know, you, you do feel like you're in his world, but you know, you feel that way with any great director or writer. And I think that's part of our job is to, to show their world. I, I hate when actors are just all about like them and like who they, it's like, yeah, but part of our Part of our occupation is to serve this writing and this directing. Even if we're improvising, it's still serving the direct. You know, I improvise in like, uh, you know, in the other guys, you know, in Adam McKay, Will Ferrell film. I'm still I'm still serving their tone. I'm still improvising in the way that they improvise and that they think comedically. So, yeah, I think that that's that's a huge thing. So, yeah, with with. David there's Lynch there's there's no exception there you know and uh I yeah just like a beautiful man a beautiful beautiful man for all of us who 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 can't can you go and tell Phoebe that we want a season three? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think she knows because <laughs> yeah. that that last those last few minutes were just crushing she basically um, broke up with us didn't even I let know. us follow her I know but she didn't because okay. even if she wants to make another flea bag, she'll be making many, many great things. Yeah. So, and what's next for you? I've been working on this show uh, called Mr. Mercedes, which is really great. Uh, it's in its third season. I'm in a new addition to it, um, and it's written by David E. Kelly. Oh wow! It starts, 
Jonathan Gleason. It's directed by uh, Jack Bender, who is, you know, one of the uh, few actual like television auteurs, you know, as a director. And it's an ad- it's an adaptation of the Stephen King novel series, and it's uh, it's great. You know, it's it's really a fantastic show. So I'm really excited for people to see uh, this season of it, and I want I hope people can go watch the first two seasons on uh, DirecTV now, which is kind of why nobody's seen it. <laughs> and I guess we'll continue seeing you in everything. You'll be like anchoring CNN or something. <laughs> I hope so. And then, and then, you know, Stranger Things season three right. is coming out. So I'm in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that. You see me in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's really exciting. I think that that season's going to be incredible. Um, and I love the Duffer Brothers. Well, Brett, thank you so much for your time and for all your great work. I really enjoyed talking to you about your process and about comedy and about some politics. And I hope that our world becomes a little better if we ever talk again. (laughs) (laughs) We will. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brett Gelman. Fleabag Season 1 and 2 is out on Amazon Prime. And 2 is the last season, so make sure you catch it. Thanks for joining us here on Pop Culture Confidential. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a second, please rate the show. We really appreciate it. This episode was edited by Julia Scott, and I'm Christina Yerling Biro. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.